0: Hi everyone, welcome to Church Plant Chat. It's Paul Pavlou here and today I have Phil King with me from New Life Church in Palmer's Green, North London. Uh, Phil was introduced to me um, by my dad. They They knew each other from Back in the day, and um, bless him, Phil just had me all of a sudden contacting him out of the blue, saying, "Would you like to come on the podcast? I'd love to learn from you <laughs> and share what you have to say." So, Phil, hello, and thank you so much for talking to a complete stranger today. <laughs> I, that's
1: Absolutely no problem. No, really
0: yeah. You guys. yeah, So, so Phil, I I know you said you've listened to some of the podcast in preparation for today, and so you'll know the question that I start with is what's what's the strangest thing you've experienced whilst planting uh, or in your years of evangelism so far
1: I think there are there are billions of strange strange stories but um it I was thinking about this question and just thinking actually most of church planting is pretty weird <laughs> because actually we're you know I have all sorts of plans for life, but God seems to have different plans for me and so i'd like to say that i've learned to listen to the holy spirit but i'm not sure that i'm still any good at it it still has to slap me around a bit to get me to wake up but there's there's one particular story that that typifies it before we actually got cracking church planting here i was a youth worker for many years so i used to run a um, a charity called the Enflame trust working mm. out north london working across a whole load of churches and um so i was focused on youth and i um, I don't think I was any good at being a youth worker so much, but I did have a real passion for reaching teenagers. And so we planted this church, and I was also helping out um, with doing some teaching at the Enflame Trust. And on a Monday morning, I was walking back up the road because it was uh, their office was local. Walking back up to the road, up the road towards where I lived, and and it had gone really badly. I'd done a three-hour training session, and for some reason, I just felt dreadful, you know. Mm. And I I walked back up the road, and I I was um halfway home and I said to the Lord well, I said well that was dreadful um you know uh, is there anything that you can do to redeem my morning because <laughs> <laughs> I think I really let you down this morning I really a really bad job and the Holy Spirit said to me really clearly you see that old people's home there and he said go in and offer your services as a chaplain and I just thought really that's you know I, I, I work with teenagers why would I go in to work with an old people's home um, but anyway, so I, in, reluctantly I I went in and I just stood at the desk and this lady came to the desk and said can I help you and I just said you know I'm I'm a local Christian pastor. Um, is there anything I can do to serve you? Anything mm-hmm. you know? I, I just wondered if I can help. You. And uh, she looked at me. She said, "Who sent you?" <laughs> I, I said, "Well, I, I don't really know. I you know I just was walking past and." Um, I know of this home from someone I knew a long time ago that, um, and I think her father's here, but I don't know anything about where. <laughs> and she said, well, the answer is yes, you can help us. She said, the strange thing is I just put my phone, put the phone down to the local um, Catholic church and I've been asking them to come in for three years and they're too busy. And so I put the phone down. She said, I'm a Christian. I put the phone down and said, well, Lord, I give up. <laughs> you want someone to come you'll have to send them (laughs) 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 oh wow (laughs) you know it was a bit of an odd one but to track back a little bit when we planted one of the things i guess one of my strategies if strategy is the right word because i didn't really know what else to do is just to walk and pray so i would walk every day twice a day around the area just praying Mm. and one of the things i prayed was god show me the poor. Show, you know, because the gospel is good news to anyone. if The mm. gospel is not good news to the poor. It's not. It's not, it's really not the gospel. so mm. I said, show me the poor, because I want to. I want to know who the poor are. I know that they're not necessarily about their bank account, but show me who. Who you're calling us to? And uh, I prayed that, and God never spoke to me about it. Mm. So for two years I've been praying that, and when I went into this um, home, she said to me, "Okay, will you come in every day?" And I said, "No, I can't do that. But I'll come in. I'm mm. in three weeks. Um, once a week." and I'll try and do something that is, you know, like a service, that will help them. And um, so my first week I went in and I really didn't know what I was doing because I discovered that most of these people had dementia or Alzheimer's. Right. Almost exclusively that that was who it was for, at this particular home. And and I stood up and I just said, hi, I'm a local pastor. My name's Phil. Um, It's really good to be with you here today. And this strange thing happened. It doesn't happen to me a lot, but I just felt as though Jesus was standing right on my shoulder and whispering in my ear. He said, "You asked me to show you the poor," mm. and I just lost it. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't do anything for the next five minutes. I just, but just weep. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the home is closed now. But that was the beginning of three and a half years of very, very fruitful ministry where we mm. saw, you know, not hundreds, but I, I had the privilege of leading. Maybe 16 to 20 people to Christ. And before they died, many of them Mm. uh, died within weeks of them actually receiving Jesus. And gosh, that's amazing. Mm. Watching God reach past communication barriers into people with such advanced dementia that that they could hardly speak. Mm. Wow. Uh, So it was a a real privilege for me and, and seeing. So there are lots of kind of weird stories like that where I'm—I've got my mind set on going somewhere and God just says no. Yeah, what I want you. To do. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, I probably don't know it well enough because I can see it happening more and more.
1: <laughs> well, he's yeah. boss, isn't he? So yeah, yeah, has yeah. The, role of the shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to think, um, and people used to tell me I was a visionary, but um i think as i get older yeah i have vision but most of it just kind of these days i just think well god has a vision mm. his vision's big enough mm. um and these days i just think well I'll, I'll let him get on with it and tell me what to do it's easier <laughs> That way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: i mean that's that's so wise because i mean i know in in previous attempts to plant i've drawn up vision documents and stuff like that by myself without a team and um, uh, and I'm not trying to make that sound like a good thing because it wasn't you right. know and uh, and it's it's probably no surprise that those plants didn't happen and I had to tear up those plans mm. you know and yeah, um, and like you say God's got all the vision we need <laughs> we just need yeah. to be willing to like you say to listen and be obedient to what he actually wants us to do And right. yeah. I think I'm similar to you in that respect in that I can I can see what I want to what what I want to happen. You know. Yes. And uh and I can almost ignore and I can convince myself that's what God wants. Yeah. <laughs> oh you, yeah. like, you should do it. <laughs> yeah. Then, Lord, <laughs> I've thought of this, I can see how this would work really well, so now can you do it? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and um, that's I think I don't know if that's something that every church leader falls into or if it's something in particular with church planters because they have more maybe a pioneering or driven DNA. Not that other church leaders don't, but maybe it's a potential weakness that we in particular struggle with. I don't know. I say we, I've not even done it yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think God has to knock off the rough edges, doesn't he? And there's plenty of them around us, so Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So so Phil, um you're you're church leading now and we, we'd, I'd love to hear more about that in a bit, but I'd also really love to hear about your how you got into church planting in the first place. Was it always on your heart to be a church leader? Was it uh, was it your ideal plan from day one, or, or was this another scenario of, of God something yeah. doing
1: uh, bonkers with you? <laughs> I, I I never I don't think I ever particularly wanted to be a church leader. I mm. think there was a bit in me that um, when I was younger, you know. As a young Christian, we're not a, we're not immune to the the kudos, you know, and the idea of being someone and being special. But mm. um, but I, and I think I you know there were times when I thought, oh, that would be great, you know, because you you always have a view of these things. You see leaders and you see people on stage,
0: mm. and you
1: say, oh, you know, you know that what that's a very glamorous life. Yeah. Just having the foggiest idea what they go through day by day. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and so I, I, I there were times when. You know, I flirted with the idea of being in Christian leadership, but um I think the reality was is that I just ended up here. I ended up here because I know that when I talked to someone who wasn't a believer about about Jesus, I I would walk away feeling touched by the experience, feeling mm. as though that's what I should do. Yeah. And I I kind of got my bread and butter and preaching and pre- preaching on the streets, learning to preach on the streets um, with some friends of mine. So we used to do lots of sketchboard open air stuff. And um, I, I'm naturally quite a shy person, so it's not a natural fit for me, but I knew that whenever I I would take, pick up my sketchboard and go home, I'd just think, oh, why don't I do this all the time? Even when it had been horrible, mm-hmm. even when, you know, people had thrown stuff at you or spat at you or something like that. It still felt like, that's what I want to do. And, and so I just kind of went around trying to do evangelism, really trying to lead people to Jesus. And I'm not the most successful evangelist. Um, I'm not even you know anywhere near that, but it, it makes me feel alive. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in leadership, really, as a result of <clears throat> leading people to Jesus. And people decided that they wanted to hang out with us, really. yeah. Um, I mean, my first... Experience of church planting was church planting when I was at college. So I became a Christian at um, when I was at Middlesex Polytechnic, as it was in those days, now Middlesex University. I was studying for a degree in illustration, and I became a Christian there. And I was at um, a church in North London called North, um, St Barnabas. That's where I
0: yeah.
1: first church I really joined.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and then very quickly God called me to be part of this little church plant team planting into Barnet and um, so that was that was quite an unusual experience I grew up in that kind of environment as Christian that was very much my discipleship um, but when I got involved in my first church plant again it was reluctant we had a building down in Hampstead and um, I was asked to go and be part of the team down there and, um, and I didn't particularly want to move to be honest but I ended up there because it just felt like that was the best way to serve the people who are in leadership of me. Mm. So, um, so that was my first church plant experience. But um, I've, I've always found leading a group of Christians problematic and difficult and talking to people about Jesus, fun, sometimes excruciatingly painful, but, but actually it makes me feel alive. So mm. um, leadership, Christian leadership is not something I really love. Mm. is something that is. I, I shouldn't call it a necessary evil because <laughs> <laughs> there's things about it, but but you know it's it's not a comfort zone for me really.
0: Yeah, and is um, that's really interesting that God's called you into that ministry, even though it's not your your comfort zone. Um, it, would you say? Uh, what am I trying to say? With, with being an evangelist, that's that, that being your core, have you had to rethink or re <clears throat> remould yourself to be a church leader or have you continued to stick to how you were almost as a solo evangelist and trying to lead out of that? How have you, how
1: have you held that sort of tension I think I think badly, I think I've pendulumed between trying to be something that I'm not mm. and swinging back to what I was, but realizing that we can't just be who we think we should be mm. we can't just stick to our giftings, we have to grow, and you know it's like when you when you're a parent, if you're, you don't, nobody has any experience of changing a nappy until until it happens, okay, and then yeah. you just have to do it yeah so i I think we're not here to serve ourselves. So while I feel called and while I feel comfortable as an evangelist, if the job requires a church leader, then I have to step up, Mm. I have to do the best I can. So I kind of pendulum between the two, um, doing what I feel not good at Mm. in order to actually, because it needs doing, but but then occasionally just saying, I can't do this. Mm. I can't fit someone else's shoes. I can't be this other person and then swinging back and, you know, pushing evangelism. So I think I drive my team nuts. <laughs> yeah. um, because occasionally I'll just throw my dolly out the pram and say, no, I'm sorry, this isn't why we're here. You know, yeah, I, know yes. I know that the car park needs doing, I know that we need to do some weeding, and I understand that, and it's great, and we should do it, but actually uh, we haven't seen anyone become Christians in the last two months, so that's not good enough. We've got, we have got we should be doing something else. Yeah. And so sure. that they're, they're, I think they're used to being, used is, a, is probably putting words <laughs> in their mouths, but... I think they live with someone who pendulums backwards and forwards um, Mm. doing something because it's necessary and then also following my passion. Yeah. I do become unbearable if people don't become Christians. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's not a bad bad quality to have, is it? (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) perhaps, but bad for my (laughs) wife.
0: But I suppose that's... Somebody said on here on this podcast. I think it was Helen Shannon, who you might know from St B's days. Um, She said it's so important to put people in, get people on your team who are different to you. And I can see that now with what you're saying, in that you hold them to account in evangelism and conversion growth. And they kind of hold you to account in yeah. some of the stuff that an evangelist may deem as being a bit more mundane or unnecessary, <laughs> um, which I get. <laughs> you know?
1: I think if if my team were all like me, we wouldn't have a church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. wouldn't work. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think that's the tension of team, isn't it? Is mm. that you surround yourself with people who are actually not like you, but then you've got to live with each other. Because, <laughs> um, I mean I I like my own company and I like doing my own thing and I usually know how I want things to happen Mm. and you know as soon as you get married you realise that doesn't work (laughs) Amen you you have to do team you've got to raise kids as a team and you have to do church as a team Yeah. and I think it I think when we planted in Palmer's Green it was important for me um, that we came up with a model of stru- uh, a model of church leadership that echoed this. So before we even started, really, I said, I-, I need a team around me that don't just say yes, yeah, and I need a team around me that, and I, I promise you that I will make decisions on my own, yeah, <laughs> no matter how frustrating, and this will kill me, yeah, um, but I will not make decisions, big decisions, without a unanimous <laughs> agreement across the team,
0: yeah,
1: and. Uh, Sometimes that's really hard, but but actually, I think it's a really good thing as well. I think it's been good for us. Yeah,
0: that's such good advice because I could. I think I I carry similar personality traits. I like my own space. Mm. I, I know I'm competent enough to do stuff by myself and in my own strength, which is also a big weakness for me. Um, so I know I'm going to need strong team who are willing to say no. <laughs> No, you need to rethink that because, you know, I know I have the potential to to just bulldoze or race my way through if I haven't got those strong people around me to keep me in check. So, and hey, if nothing's taught me that, marriage has. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I I think that's really wise and it's humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it's humbling. And I can only begin to imagine how frustrating it must be when you can see the way ahead in your own mind but then there isn't that unanimous yes to go forwards with it and I can't I mean what what sort of things do you have any healthy habits or little things you do to help you cope with that when it happens or do you just flip the lid and break something <laughs> um,
1: I think well I think I walk a lot right. really yeah. uh, I think I don't know how I would survive without that because and perhaps I'll get shot for saying this but being married and having a wonderful wife and having someone who you trust with everything doesn't actually there are things that Caroline can't understand mm-hmm. and there are frustrations that actually sometimes there are frustrations about the way she's doing things and I have to process those things so um, there are two I think two things that I put in place is one is I walk a lot and I talk out loud to god a lot which is you know in these days of having headphones if you've got your headphones in no one really knows that you're not talking on the phone so it's <laughs> yeah, fine that's so a great tip a long chat with god <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> one thinks you're too weird <laughs> but i walk a lot and i talk a lot and the other is is you know like when i met your dad or mm. when we became much better friends is we were part of a core team of mm. church leaders who just got together and prayed together and confessed our sins and confessed our weaknesses and our struggles Mm. and just, you know, the team outside of the team, I Mm. think was really, really useful. I found that a a godsend. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I'd better buy myself some new walking shoes then. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was a point, um, a few years ago, about three years ago where, um, there was, I, I, suddenly became very ill I I had a problem in my neck, I was out running one morning, um, which I can't do anymore and um, I came back in excruciating pain and uh, over the next month, it took him about a month to diagnose it and it was God that actually steered the way for the diagnosis to be sorted. I discovered that I'd broken my neck when I was a a youth worker and um, I'd fractured three vertebrae and so as a result I had um, three prolapse discs in my neck and they'd gone suddenly and and so I spent the next nine months in excruciating pain um, where I couldn't sit, I could lay down, still hurt but I could lay down, that was the best thing, or I could walk and um, I discovered that those those were the only two things that I could do that would get rid of the pain except preach actually I could stand and preach yeah. and when I was preaching there was no pain but that's another story mm. um, and so I you know I spent an awful lot of time walking and praying <laughs> and didn't do much else yeah. I remember having um, I remember having a discussion with, a, with someone who I was trying to persuade about something to do with the building that we were in and uh, I had this conversation on the phone with him and I was just trying to broker this deal um, over the building and, and um, it didn't go well and we started he started to say things that got me hot under the collar and so I started to get really quite aggressive and um, the conversation I, after about 20 minutes I just said okay we need to stop this now um, and I put the phone down and I rang him back later and I said I'm really sorry I'm on drugs You <laughs> will <laughs> <laughs> have to put that for me <laughs> but you know the, I think limitations limitations are often God's way of proving that we need him more than we need ourselves and I guess that's a lesson for us in the middle of the COVID situation is that we can't always do what we want and if we could do what we want all the time we'd probably be dreadful (laughs) God actually limits us very often in order to make us depend on him and and lean on him it wasn't nine months that I'd like to repeat but yeah Uh, it was useful for me
0: yeah yeah that's amazing um phil you um before we started recording you shared a story about a light box with me i would (coughs) i would love you to to share that again for the listeners and to unpack um you know the the theme that you were chatting to me about uh, as a result because that's obviously a big part of your leadership journey and you know, your team building and all that sort of stuff. So, um,
1: yeah, please,
0: mm. please do share that with us.
1: Well, it, it kind of comes out of my character. Again, it's one of those things that God limits me on. It's because I, I can see pretty clearly, usually, what I think needs to happen and how it needs to happen. And, you know, I sometimes joke that you can, a pioneer will often look at a piece of ground and say, well, this is where the living room's going to go. This is where the front porch is going to be, and this is where my <laughs> pond is going to be. Yeah. And that's... so, those sort of things come quite naturally to me. Um, but it was in the very, uh, very early in the in the church plant, and I was struggling with with not having the right sort of people on my team, or you know, or, or I always thought, well, if I had that kind of person, I could sort this out. If I had that kind of person, this would be much easier. But I. One of the things um, my children needed for their art project was a light box, which is a, a kind of a, it's a box with lights in that you can trace, you can draw over the top, of. helps with photography and general art stuff. Um, and so I decided, you know, we were living pretty much hand to mouth, so we couldn't really afford to go out and buy one, and I'm a bit tight anyway, so um, <laughs> I decided to build one, and because I like woodwork and mucking around with tools and bits of wood, I went out to my... Wood store to see what you know wood I had and typical well my wife will say this typical I never have the bit of wood that I really need so I have to go and buy something and and so the wood store just grows and grows and, uh, and so I went out and I I realised that I would have to buy some wood because I didn't have any of the right shape or or type and so I went back in prepared for a discussion with my wife about going spending some money on some wood and uh, and as I walked towards the house the Holy Spirit just said to me Phil stop. Use what you have. Mm. And I said, But Lord, it doesn't fit my design. <laughs> and he said, Use what you have, change your design to fit what you have. Mm. And um, and I, so I, I thought, Okay, well, there's a spiritual moment. And I got on with being a, a carpenter and I started <laughs> to build. And I had to change the design all the way through, depending on what I could find kicking around me. And eventually, I'd almost finished this thing. And it's a bit, you know, I was really, really pleased with how it turned out. And I had to line this thing with silver tape. And um, and I so I bought this aluminium tape it was very cheap and um, I didn't have any of that and I began to lay it out in strips across the bottom of this light box and I was utterly shocked when I got to the end because it fitted to the millimetre and it wasn't the only thing just at the end three or four things came together that I had something and it was made to measure mm. I didn't have to cut it it was just there and, um, and then you know, I kind of drifted away from being spiritual about this. I was just building a light box. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me again. He said, Phil, that's how I want you to plant church. Mm-hmm. Use what you have. Because you will realize that what I'm doing is my plan, not yours. Mm-hmm. And when I plan things, I get it perfect. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look perfect as you're going through it. Yes. And so that's been a, a salutary lesson for me, really, is being a visionary and you know having great ideas means doesn't really mean anything in some some ways that can be a headache because you begin to realize that God planned this out before you did
0: mm. <laughs>
1: and uh, you know if we truly are planting God's church then then actually he has to have a plan before we do yeah and um obedience is far far better and far far less painful in the long run mm. than the trying to persuade God that you know how you, you know, you're doing yeah
0: yeah i think <clears throat> that's brilliant i mean it's one of the things that i'm really kind of grateful for covid for which sounds awful is that it's it's slowed down the plans or potential idea factory in my head for mm. for, for for the church plant and it's, it's kind of brought me to beneath ground zero <laughs> and it's forced me to absolutely have to wait for my team to be built before I start running ahead of myself with plans and ideas yeah. because i think similarly to you I, I can draw stuff up without too much difficulty but um but it may not be right you know it, it may yes. be completely wrong in the first place and and, and to for me to have to learn <clears throat> no do it with what you've got with who you've got and yeah. with their input not just your own <laughs> is um really valuable lesson to hear about.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I've even found that there are times where you, before we planted, so we lived in the area for a long time um, before we planted because I was doing youth work and also being an itinerant evangelist. Um, but I I set up all sorts of stuff locally. So we took over Starbucks and ran a, a, an evening there once a month, um, just invited loads of non-Christians in. And, and I opened up, it's another story, but um, an alpha in, in a coffee, in another little coffee shop. I like coffee shops. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then started a men's Bible study in a coffee shop. And um, I had a mixture of Greeks, Greek <laughs> Christians and, uh, and, and non-Christians. and non um, And, and sometimes those Bible studies got feisty, but I began to realize that God seems quite, if God can talk for a donkey, he can talk through anybody <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, some of the times that there would be a non-Christian would say something and it would just completely be God's voice into the Bible study. <laughs> um, and it would just be a wake up out of the religious. Yeah. We know what we're doing. We're clever kind of stuff. And, yeah. And, um, God just has a way of breaking through. Yeah. And doing stuff that's, that's left field. Yeah. I, I find it's a constant shakeup, you know, if we don't learn humility somewhere in the middle of this process, I don't think we're really... <laughs> we're really...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, you've mentioned that the plants in Palmer's Green, you lived there for a bit before and you had some Greeks on your team. Are you willing to unpack a little bit about the influence of, of different nationalities and their kind of stereotype character traits, how they influence forming community and and the pros and cons of that, and how that's shaped some of your outlook on how to build community.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, when, when we were planting before, we were down in Hampstead, as I say, and it was, it was quite monochrome there in terms of culture. Hmm. Um, although we lived on a border of, um, between extreme poverty and extreme riches, um, it was all very similar, culture-wise. But when we came up to Palmer's Green... You know, again, I didn't want to live here, but God very clearly led us here, and we got this house, Palmer's Green. And I was—they used to call it Palmer's Greek because it is um, almost—it used to be at one point a massive Greek Cypriot community. Yeah, I can see why you didn't want to live there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Greek Cypriot, so, so I can say that. <laughs> within,
1: about, within about a month, people were saying, you know, where did you live before? And I said, we lived in Hampstead. They said, oh, that must have been lovely. And I said, to be honest, no, I love it here. Mm. I have fallen in love with this place. And they said, what do you love about it? And I just said, well, I think, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the Greek Cypriots brought something with them mm. from their culture, from Cyprus, which is really precious to me. And that's the love of community. And, mm. you know, I, I, I used to joke that you could tell when spring was come, not because the birds were singing, but because the barbecues started firing up. <laughs> yeah. and, but Greeks love getting together, and Man. they love eating together, yeah. they love hospitality. And I learned so much about that. Yeah. And so, you know, with the very early days of the church plant was just a meeting in our home where we would worship together with all of the kids. Yeah. And we would eat together. Um, and eating was just as much part of worship as singing was. Yeah. And, and preaching and sometimes what the services themselves were quite chaotic but actually there was always a lovely sense of family and that ch- you know that grew very fast yeah Um. and I do think that the Greek Cypriot community have brought something wonderful to Palmer's Green it's not very Greek anymore mm. but I quickly ha- quickly came to appreciate the differences in culture so the church as it is now, we probably have between 25 and 30 different nationalities in the church.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: And that has become part of our core values, really, is that I don't want an English church. I don't actually want a Greek church. I don't want a Polish church. I don't want a Turkish church. I want a church that represents the body of Christ. Mm. Um, And I think sometimes they say that birds of a feather flock together and, and it's made me as we go through growing the church to resist that
0: mm.
1: now there are still struggles with that if I'm honest um so my leadership team is still predominantly English which I'm frustrated mm. about
0: mm.
1: we have had Greek Cypriots on the team um my very good friend is just left um, with his Albanian wife to plant another church so oh, wow um, so that's another story but so he's he's um he's a Greek Cypriot Um, And sometimes there are strengths within the cultures Mm. um, that you have to play to. And sometimes there's also prejudice within us that just says, well, I want to do it this way, so I'll gather the people around me who who do it my way. And so um, I think in the next couple of years, we're we're having to reshape our leadership team at the moment. Mm. And um, I'm really, really desperate to have a more breadth of nationality on it yeah um, the food's better when you come together That's the <laughs> yeah. you know the all the time yeah. but, but there's a richness and problems that come with it of having so many different cultures together yeah. um, but I think like we said earlier like when we were chatting I think every culture has its blessings and also its curses so there are things about the English culture that are problematic, which is why we probably shouldn't just have English leaders. Um, and there are things about Greek cultures that are problematic. You know, I, mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't say this on air, but, you know, Greeks do <laughs> to argue about everything. Yep. Um, you know, you get a group, Greeks um, who have yeah. theological opinions and you have twice as many opinions in the group as you have people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so,
0: the, and the Greeks always right.
1: when I look at at Corinthians and Paul's first issue with the Corinthian church I think yeah (laughs) you're falling out over everything but you know it's all part of the fun and managing a church with those kind of complexities in it Mm. is both incredibly enriching and and difficult and we Mm. always try and steer away from the things that make life life difficult but I think when we do we lose some of the blessing well we lose most of the blessing if I'm Mm. honest yeah. So I love multicultural church. It gives me a headache <laughs> every week, but um, it's a headache I would much rather have than have things mm. uh, clinically decent.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. I and you know Palmer's Green is becoming much much more culturally diverse, and I mm. think it's important for me that the church reflects the community that it's yeah. in. Yeah. That it actually has the kind of people in it. So there was a point when we just said. I got the team together, I said, okay, we need to pray for some Turks. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't have a particular burden for Turkey, but I realised that opposite the church there's a massive Turkish community. We need Turkish people in this church.
0: On a completely, slightly separate note, do they still have that Greek bakery there called Aroma on the high street?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. The, the Halumi and Lunza sandwiches are great there. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me hungry now. I just want to go out and get the barbecue. <laughs>
1: There's a great little Greek cafe opened up the road. Um, well, it was a couple of years ago, um, called Milk and Honey, mm. and I was just amazed that I don't know why all cafes don't do this. For the first um, two days of being opened, they just served free food on the on the yeah. forecourt of it. Yeah, you know, that's... just giving away. And I said, why don't why don't other people do this? You know, it's yeah. instant success
0: yeah and i can I can completely relate to your love of um being on in and around that high street and community, so uh, we live in Milton Keynes, Milton Keynes is a fairly new city it 's all divvied up into grids yeah you don't get much high street buzz. you have a center which has most of that buzz you've got one or two grids which have a high street. But I was walking down Bletchley High Street um, the other day. And, it, and it's, you know, that part isn't in our Church of England parish. I mean, I could dream up a whole string of things and ways to plant there. But hey, it's not in our parish. But, uh, and I was walking down and there are sort of um, other nationalities, like Polish shops and everything. And I was almost brought to tears because I realised just how much I missed being in, uh, on a high street that has a, a, just a few different smells, <laughs> you know, coming yes. from the shops. And yeah. I used to love that about living in North London. It's probably one of my you know, I've lived in Southgate, I've lived in Enfield, I've lived in Potter's Bar, Edmonton, Finchley, Barnet. And whichever one I lived on, there would be a high street with 10 different, at least, nationalities and different shopkeeper uh, and... Uh, And I desperately miss that here in Milton Keynes. And I don't think I realized how much I missed it until I walked down that high street a few weeks ago, ironically, to get stuff for the barbecue. (laughs) And um, it's powerful, isn't it? And I think you're right. I think different nationalities have their blessings and their curses. And even though there are things in my own Greek Cypriot heritage which I push back on, like the arguing, although I could be quite zealous and argumentative myself. Um, there, there there are things which uh, that culture and nationality, the Greeks have, which I believe are core to the gospel. So for me, and there's many ways you could do this, but I could sum up the gospel in two words, generosity and hospitality. You know, you've got the generosity of God the Father sending his son, to die on the cross and be resurrected you know he generously did that for us and the hospitality of him taking us into his presence and getting into a relationship with him for me you can sum it up and those two words generosity and hospitality when greek communities are at the top of their game and when they're doing things to the best of their ability i think it's hard to top them on generosity and hospitality and so i can see through my background and heritage that actually there are there are really good things that can be pulled into visions and values of Christian ethos and DNA, but equally, like you say, there can be some really annoying things. And the fact that you're still in church leadership after leading some Greeks is phenomenal. I mean, how you haven't been given a medal yet. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, my wife's English.
1: I wasn't brave enough to marry a Greek woman. Caroline and I honeymooned in Larnica and Cyprus. Oh,
0: nice, uh, yeah.
1: And that was the first experience of Cyprus. And I, I remember very affectionately the church that we visited out there um, mm. and how kind they were to us. So I I think there was a little bit of me that when we actually moved into Palmer's Green, I just thought, actually, I really like these people.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know,
1: and, and like yourself, I can be argumentative and picky as well about the finer points of theology. So... Um, I think it's, maybe there's a bit of Greek in me as well, I don't know. Yeah, they rubbed
0: off on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a way of sort of swarming in and taking over, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, blessing, they swarmed in and took over Antioch. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. as, as we said earlier, the first yeah. non-Jewish church, you know. I, yeah. And Barnabas was from Cyprus, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, do you know, funnily enough, I was trying to read up on him the other day because... Um, I don't know I felt a bit prompted that he wouldn't be a bad bloke to get a few values off of for the church (laughs) yeah Uh, you know uh, but maybe it's just because I come from St Barnabas back in Finchley that it's 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 in my DNA maybe Um, Phil we're going to draw to a close in a minute I mean I could chat all day about all this stuff with you it's been brilliant but um, and there's a whole bunch of questions that I'd normally ask which I haven't because we've gone off on wonderful tangents but um, if I could just stick to one and that would be what one encouragement or one piece of advice would you give to a a new church planter such as myself or to somebody even thinking about it in the first place not that you haven't
1: given any already but if you could just pick one thing Um, I mean it's what we mainly talked about really Um, years ago someone said to me I asked the same question I said "What, what defines your Christian leadership and he said pray and obey pray and obey yeah and, um, and it's not a new phrase I'm sure that many people have said it I think Paul Jungie Cho is famous for saying that at mm. um, a church growth conference you know that's how we build church we pray and we obey but if it is really simply that is that we need to remind ourselves that we're not in charge Yeah. and, and the day we are is the death of the church <laughs> that actually we have been given the Holy Spirit and it's hard to hear him and it's hard sometimes to to understand why he says what he says.
0: Mm.
1: But with the Bible in one hand and full of the Holy Spirit, we need to learn to pray and obey. And we need, if it's if God says something, and there's absolutely no reason, you know, that it's thoroughly in line with Scripture, mm. um, I think you need, we need to just do it. Yeah, just yeah. do it. Just get on with it. And all. All of my stories, really, throughout the years, have been because of that. Have been doing something that I thought was crazy. Um, doing some, of you know, from I remember years ago, down um, running a mission down in a in a ch- town in Surrey, and um, I took a team out on the ch- in the streets in the evening, and the Lord, I, I said to the Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do? How can I do evangelism in this area? We walked right into the nightclub area, and the Lord said. Sweep up. So I sent some guys up to Burger King because that seemed to be most where most of the rubbish was coming from, and we borrowed a couple of rooms and we sweeped up. And then, um, you know, one thing led to another, and before a hen party descended on us, and we we had the most crazy time praying for people who were drunk out of their skulls. The first person I'd ever seen anyone, first time I'd ever seen anyone delivered from being drunk in a second. Wow, God sobered so them up, and they gave their life to Christ there and then. That wow. so we seven people gave their life to Christ, and I didn't know what I was doing through any of yeah. them. And and so pray yeah. and obey. Just <clears throat> don't be afraid to listen to the Holy Spirit yeah. and do what He tells you to do. Yeah,
0: mate. If you could uh, package and brand that prayer of being sober, you'd be onto a winner there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be onto a money spinner there. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen
1: it since. Never seen it since. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, it was a wonderful because I had a team of teenagers with me doing mm. evangelism and there was this, you know, this girl who my friend was talking to and um and I just said we need to pray because she was obviously out of her skull. Mm. And um I said to my friend who was with me I said we need to pray for him that that she sobers up. And so we started to pray and at that point he just, you know, he was another young person. He just said, I rebuke the spirit of drunkenness in the name of Jesus. And she just went sober. Blimey. And, you know, I, it's, I wouldn't advocate it. It's not all <laughs> yeah. the theology from it, and I wouldn't teach other people to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it just shocked me. <laughs> you know, the, comb- the combination of us praying and him just being bold.
0: Somehow, yeah. God moved. I think that's amazing. And, you know, joking aside, uh, you know, really wise, pray and obey and you know, I definitely need to pray more and, and get those walking boots on uh, for, for the foreseeable future. But, Phil, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it and um, and uh, praying for you guys as you, like many others, are trying to navigate the way forwards through COVID-19 and all that that brings. Um, but, yeah, thank you. It's been great catching up. And, um, yeah, hope to speak to you again soon.
1: You're welcome. Good to be with
0: you. Cheers. See ya. See ya.